0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners, where we learn from anything and everything.
1: My name is Caleb Mason. And my name may or may not be Todd Hicksonball,
0: a.k.a. the Todd Father. And we have a great episode for you today. Today, we are talking with Julian Treasure. Now, Julian has uh, done a lot of TED Talks, five specifically. A
1: ridiculous amount. And
0: they've been watched over 40 million times.
1: That's ridiculous. I know. If anybody of you know what TED Talks are, that is a huge
0: deal. Which, if you don't. Google it. Google it. Uh, His most recent one is How to Speak so that people want to listen. He's also uh, written a book as well called How to Be Heard. Which you should get it. And he's just a master in communication and that's what we're gonna talk with him about today.
1: This is a super exciting interview because for Caleb and I, we do a lot of communicating in what we do. Um, and it's great to, to be able to just talk to somebody like him who, I mean, literally the guy studies communication. He studies
0: and specifically listening, he studies listening. a lot and sound.
1: Yeah. And how that plays into communication, which is just huge.
0: However, before we get to that interview, oh, we have our learner's corner recommended resource. Who do you think the- has it
1: this week, guys? I don't know. We'll have to see. Are you ready for it? Three, two, one. All right, it's Caleb. Caleb, what is your resource of the week?
0: My resource is a book, and it is from Lisa Gunger. Some of you may be familiar with the band oh, hey, Gunger. A lot of great music that they put out. I enjoy it a ton. Good stuff. Um, but she recently released a book called The Most Beautiful Thing I've Seen. oh And it is about her journey of going through faith, of wrestling with doubts and vulnerability and honesty And all of this stuff, and it is just such a great, um, just a great story. And I love reading people's kind of biographies and just what they've gone through. And so I highly recommend that book.
1: And listen to their music too, by the way.
0: And listen to their music. That's
1: phenomenal stuff.
0: So, as we mentioned earlier today, we were talking with Julian Treasure, and we are going to jump into our conversation with him right now. Well, Julian, we're so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thank you for having me. You know you recently um, released a book called "How to Be Heard," and we really want to talk with you about that and some of your experience with giving talks and specifically listening as well and So just as we get started, we want to ask you you know what are what are some of the things that people tend to do that keep them from fully listening and engaging?
2: I think one of the biggest ones is that we have really come to ignore sound a lot. Uh, we suppress our consciousness of what we hear. Not surprising because a lot of it's not very pleasant. Road noise, uh, construction noise, we're surrounded by a lot of undesigned, unpleasant sound in a lot of our lives, certainly those of us who live in cities. Uh, And so it becomes habitual to suppress our consciousness of sound. Not surprising, most of it's not very nice. And there are lots of other things as well. I mean, we've invented ways of recording things first by writing them down, then by recording audio and then video. So we can capture a lot of stuff now. And the premium on really careful listening uh, has pretty much disappeared. Once upon a time, you sat at the feet of your guru, and if you missed it, you missed it. Well, that's not the case any longer. And then the pace of life has got faster. So we're pretty impatient now. You know, we're in this kind of fast-cut, multi-input world where it's boring if... You listen to somebody speak for a long time. The art of oratory has all but died out in politics. You know, we're into diplomacy by 140 characters or maybe 280 now, we're lucky. And uh, we're into sound bites, um, you know, attack journalism, uh, where politicians have to get their whole little message out in 20 seconds because they know they're going to get interrupted. Uh, So the, the art of discourse, the art of civilized conversation, has been lost to a to a very large degree technology plays a big role in that you know think about the the communication channels that we've invented over the last 40 years and they're pretty much all for the eyes and for the fingers email text instant messaging all sorts of platforms like that there's not a great deal of sound going on in those particular channels and uh, the research interestingly shows that people of different age groups tend to congregate in different places. So the old generation gap you used to have where people kind of spoke different languages is even worse now because you've got people who are occupying different communication channels and speaking different languages, and that makes life even more difficult. So all of these things combine uh, to produce an effect that I call, um, we are losing our listening. And I think that's a, a major issue in the modern world, and you can see it acting out all the time in politics, in polarization. I think never has the world needed listening quite so badly. Politicians go off for talks all the time. I really think they should go off and have listens instead.
1: That's awesome. Julian one of the things that I hear people say is, yeah, you may have heard me but you didn't listen to me. Can you talk to us really quick and just kind of define what's the difference between listening and, and hearing? They're very different things.
2: You hear everything your ears are working 24 hours a day even when you sleep they're working you know if there's a sudden noise in your house while you sleep you will wake up because your ears don't switch off uh, hearing is a it's a physical sense sound waves actually come inside your head and resonate your tiny little eardrum which is an amazing device it decodes all of the richness of sound around us in a huge in a you know a tiny little space a couple of a few millimeters across uh, that then activates fluid in your inner ear, which moves little hair cells up and down, and each one decodes a different frequency, so that then fires off nerve cells and you get a an electrical stimulus that goes into your brain and now the thinking is that stimulus is decoded at lots of different places in a kind of um, almost holographic way. Hearing isn't centered in one place it's decoded in many places, starting with your what is often called your limbic system, the the lizard brain, the very basic brain which looks after your survival. That's why a sudden noise will make you jump. It'll change your heartbeat. Uh, you'll 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 have uh, hormones will enter your blood, um, you know, noradrenaline and cortisol and so forth. Um, those kind of chemicals will be in flowing through you to get you ready to fight or flee. Uh, then immediately after that, the sound will go up into the cortex and be. Uh, available for decoding, Uh, that's hearing. The listening part is a question of what we pay attention to, so it's a selection, and then what we make that mean. So it's those two critical elements. Listening is very much a skill. It's a skill you can be good at or bad at. It's a skill you can develop with practice and training. It's an extremely important skill in terms of being effective and happy and well in your life. Uh, And yet, it's one that we ignore almost entirely. I mean, we don't teach listening at school, do we? We don't teach speaking either, really. We teach reading and writing. We test them. It's a scandal if a child leaves school unable to read or write. Uh, But we hardly teach speaking and we do not teach listening at all. So there are millions of children leaving school every year Unable to speak effectively or to listen consciously and well, which I think is a major tragedy. So they're very different things: hearing
0: and listening. Why, why sure. Do you, why do you think we tend to, you know, ignore the listening part and we focus more on the giving answers part or talking?
2: Well, uh, as I <coughs>
0: sorry, I will do that one again.
2: I have a still have a cough, so you'll have to cut out some coughs. I expect. Um, <laughs> Fine we we have a tendency to prefer sending to receiving i think culturally certainly in the west uh, there is that tendency it's uh, a, an emphasis on the extrovert on the uh, the, the dominant uh, you know in order to be successful you've got to be a bit loud a bit brash a bit out there uh, whereas as susan kane said in her memorable, uh, memorable TED talk you know introverts people who like to listen and think are um, often Undervalued so there 's a societal thing going on there, and again, you can see technology playing out in that you know things like Twitter, Facebook, and so forth that 's what I call personal broadcasting you know i'm tweeting i 'm on a train who cares you know but i 'm doing that i 've got this fantasy that there are millions of people out there hanging on my every word well that 's all sending there's no listening in that kind of personal broadcasting, and we are seduced into that kind of slightly grandiose opinion of our own importance, which is all about me sending to the world, not so much about me listening to other people.
1: So can you talk to us? Um, I know this is a question we had for later on, but it's kind of here now. So what are some steps for becoming a more effective listener?
2: In my TED talk on listening and uh, through the book, I list a number of exercises, which you know really can help. Uh, The simplest one is to get some silence. Silence is like a, a baseline with sound. It's the absence of sound, but it is itself a sound. It's what makes sense of sound. You know, without silence, music's meaningless. Conversation is meaningless. You need the gaps in between things in order to understand what they are. And valuing silence is very important. It recalibrates your ears. If you're in noise the whole time, it becomes harder and harder to listen well. So just like a recording engineer in a studio, you need to take some time during the day to recalibrate your ears, give them a rest. I recommend just three or four minutes of silence, maybe two or three times a day. Uh, If you can't get absolute silence, which is quite hard in many people's lives, then relative silence, just peace and quiet will be good. Or nature sound, anything that really gives you some time off the rest of the intense sound that you're listening to. So that's a good exercise. There's another one I call the mixer. And the mixer is uh, when you're in any place with multiple sounds around you, it's decoding those. Imagining you're at a mixing desk and each sound is on a separate channel. So it's not just a big mush of sound. It's a complex, multi-layered, multi-track soundscape. And if you start decoding those tracks, you know where's that sound coming from? How many people can I hear? talking. uh, Where are those birds that I'm listening to? Then your listening becomes more acute. You become more conscious all the time of what's going on around you. And that can then lead into another exercise that I call savouring, which is really paying attention to the sound. It's, It's a conscious connection with sound around us. Some of the sounds around us, even in our home, are often counterproductive, buzzes hums, irritating noise that you've never done anything about for 10 years. Uh, You know, the, the fridge buzzing in the kitchen that really irritates you. And you don't even know because it's been there for so long, you've got into the habit of suppressing it to the point where you don't even hear it anymore. So listening to sounds like that can help to make you healthier. And then finding sounds that are actually attractive and interesting. I use an example of a kettle in my TED talk and it's a you know it's a great sound to listen to it's very rich and interesting it has an arc it tells a story there are many sounds like that around us which are worth paying attention to and which we generally ignore so that's savoring just as with food you know you you test and taste things and you know what you like and you know what you don't you don't ram stuff in your mouth willy-nilly and ignore it Uh, well unfortunately that's exactly what we do with our ears most of the time and then a couple of exercises which are slightly more complex, I suppose, to understand. Uh, The first is listening positions, is understanding that we listen from a place. Each of us has a set of filters. Those filters on our listening are how we make meaning out of sound. So you make different meaning from sound to me. And those filters have grown up along your life. You know, the language you speak, the culture you're born into, your values, attitudes, beliefs, the things that you accrete from Parents, teachers, friends, role models, everybody who you've respected or you like. Uh, Opinions come out of those things. And then you have expectations possibly in a situation, intentions. You might have emotions going on. All sorts of things mean that you listen in a different way to me. And that's one of the most important things to realize about listening is that everybody's listening is unique. It's as unique as your fingerprints, your your irises, your voice print it is yours and yours alone. And it's a grave mistake and one that many, many, many people make to assume that everybody listens like I do. In other words, I can send the same way to everybody and they'll all get it. Well, that's not true. Mm. Very often you have to be aware that you speak into a different listening with different people and you need to deliver in a different way in order to get your message across. Now that's a profound realization which can transform people's success and outcomes in life if they get that one so speaking from your place uh, we all have a kind of typical place that we speak from there are scales of listing positions which i give in my ted talk and i mean just to give you one example that would be a scale from critical to empathic critical it's pretty much how most people are listening to this right now. Oh, I didn't know that. Where did he get that from? You know, there's a little voice in our head going all the time, which is like a little editor um, which is talking. The the voice that just said, What voice is he talking about? That voice is is there all the time and that, that puts us in this critical listening position, which is very effective in business and in many aspects of life, actually, being discerning and judge judging things. Nevertheless, it's not so great if somebody comes to you and they've got You know a heart problem they want time off for bereavement or you know they've just been upset by something you don't want to be marking them out of 10 in how well they're doing this you want to be going onto their island feeling their feelings and leaving them feeling not just heard but understood and that's two out of the three things that it said we want in relationships to be heard to be understood and to be valued and real listening empathic listening Uh, can deliver two of those at once, so that's very powerful. Uh, There are other listening positions we can adopt, such as active listening, which is a technique used in therapeutic professions, it involves reflecting back exactly what somebody just said. What I heard you say is dot, 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 and then you say exactly what they said without colouring it or reinterpreting it or whatever, that leaves the other person feeling heard. And it's very important sometimes for people to feel heard, particularly if they're feeling damaged. So there are many different listening positions. The important thing is to understand that that is true and that we can move from one to another. We don't have to sit in the little bunker we've been in all these years listening from this one place in this one way, almost like listening through a little slit in the concrete in the front of us. You know, we can... There's a back door and it's open. We can walk out, move around, listen from different places and and experience the world in extremely different ways. And uh, then one final technique I would suggest, it's one for conversation, is a little acronym I created called RASA, which is the Sanskrit word for juice. And it stands for receive, appreciate, summarize, ask. The receive means paying attention. There's a great quote from the author, Scott Peck, who said, it is impossible to truly listen to someone and do anything else at the same time. I absolutely agree with that. Now, I wonder when the last time anyone listening to this actually gave somebody their 100% complete attention is... You know, we tend not to do that. We're very good at partial listening. I am listening. No, you're cooking. You're sending a text. You're, uh, you know, fiddling with the stereo. You're thinking about lunch. Whatever it might be, we tend to partially listen to people. And it's an amazing gift to give somebody, to give them complete attention. So receive is point at the person, you know, face them, look at them. Eye contact is very important. Uh, Lean towards them slightly, maybe, if you're sitting down, and give them the impression that you're actually giving them the full of your attention, all of it. The A uh, in Rasa is appreciate, which means those little noises that oil conversation, you know, "Mm, oh, really, that kind of thing, or nodding or body language that's giving the impression that you're with them and helping them and encouraging them. Uh, the S is summarize. It's the word so. So, what we've agreed is this. Now we can move on to that. If you don't have a so person in a meeting, it can be a very, very long meeting. And I think the phrase is meetings are places where you take minutes and waste hours. Um, then we've got the A, ask, of course, asking questions throughout and asking questions at the end. So, those are five practices which I really, really recommend to anybody listening to this. They can really help to develop listening and to stop that slippery slope that we're all on of listening less and less and being more, more and more concerned with our own sending and with our eyes and our fingers than what's going into our ears.
0: Julian, I want to hit back on something that you talked about a little bit earlier. You talked about you know, you know, active and passive listening. You've talked about um, critical and empathetic listening. I was just wondering, you know, how do you determine what style of listening that you need in the moment?
2: Well, that's all about speaking into a listening. And as you develop that practice, as one develops it, it becomes a habit. So, excuse me. So, the question to ask oneself repeatedly is what's the listening that I'm speaking into? What's the listening? And as you develop the skill of listening to the listening, Just by asking that question, it will come intuitively. And uh, I don't know how it works. I can't train people on that. I believe it's a combination of tiny visual signals, body language, possibly pheromones. Who knows what it is? It's all sorts of different things. Uh, But I can tell you that after years of doing this, I can walk on a stage and I have an absolutely clear understanding of the listening. I'm speaking into a compound listening of, you know, 100 or 1,000 or 2,000 people. And the same with individuals, what's the listening? So if you're listening to the listening, that allows you then to develop your style and to decide on your listening position and on indeed your speaking position too. How fast or slow or how informal or formal or uh, what kind of inflection or intonation you should use, what kind of language to use. All of those are important things in speaking into the listening. And as you're listening to the other person, you can decide on your listening position at the same time. Now, what's the best place for me to listen from? And there are as many listening positions to listen from as you want to invent. I mean, I, I've given a couple of examples. There are an infinite number of listening positions.
1: So, Julian, um, we've been talking a lot about listening and, and active and passive listening and, and, and different techniques and things, but that's, that's only one Um, half of the equation when it comes to communicating and so one of the things that you talk about is is this equation and the equation is content plus delivery plus context equals impact. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
2: Sure yes the experts are always divided on what's more important is it great content or is it great delivery and the answer of course is it's both. Uh, It's you know if you had to Choose one, I would certainly err on the side of content. As uh, I interviewed Chris Anderson, the curator of TED, who's seen more talks than most people have in their lifetimes. uh, And that was his view as well. He'd rather listen to um, a fascinating talk by somebody who's passionate about a subject and has really got something to say, even if their delivery is boring or uh, amateurish or a shambles. Nevertheless, there's something there. Whereas if you get somebody who's a really slick, polished communicator who can act a great talk and they've got nothing to say, that's just irritating. It's a, it's a waste, actually, of resources. So I would certainly make sure that the content is absolutely on the money. Uh, we must never ignore the context either. So you could have great content and you could be delivering in a brilliant way. And if you're in the middle of a noisy Starbucks, this isn't going to go down so well. Because the noise is just overwhelming. The p- the people you're talking to can't hear you too well. They're distracted. You know, context is all around us all the time. And, okay, it's great if you're on a TED stage. Your context is brilliant. You have a 1,000 people avidly listening to you. You have a great sound system. The focus is all on you. There's no ever There's no distractions. That is rarely the case in our lives. And I often see people, for example, having a conversation next to somebody who's drilling in a road. And I think, why don't you just move? But because we've gone so unconscious about the sound around us, it's much more likely we'll just bellow to each other and, uh, you know, accept it somehow. If that was a smell or something we could see, we wouldn't accept it. So there is an issue there about this context. So if you're going to have an important conversation, the first thing to fix really is the context. Where are you going to do that? is it going to be appropriate? You know, you wouldn't want to propose marriage or ask for a pay raise, uh, pay rise in a, in a noisy cafe, probably. Uh, so, you know, think about the context. And then the content is key. What are you going to say? And that's all about intentionality. That's key. What's your intention for this talk? And what's, what's, sorry, hold on a second. What's your intention for this talk? And what's the intention of the other person or the other people? What's your intention for them? And what's their intention for them? And what's your intention for you? So there are actually three intentions that you need to be quite clear on uh, when you're designing the content. There needs to be a so what answer. So what is the phrase that newspaper editors use all the time when they're training uh, rookie journalists? You know, so what? Because if this means nothing to our readers, why are we talking about it? There has to be a reason To be interested in this. And if you're giving any kind of talk, so what is a very important question. You're asking that on behalf of the audience. Otherwise, it becomes all about you, and it really isn't. Never, never is it all about you when you're talking. It's all about what you're giving to somebody else. It's the so what. It's what does it mean to them? What's your gift to them? Now, then, uh, once you've got something that's a great so what, you've got a big idea there, you've got some development of it, you've um, you've mapped it out. You have a pretty clear idea of what you want to say and why it's important. Yes, context, uh, content and context are, are dealt with, but you still have delivery to think of. And that can be critical. It can be a make or break. Uh, if, you, if you do have all the content and you deliver it badly, then it's gonna be far less well received. Uh, and there are many, many, many tips in terms of improving delivery.
0: Can, can you give us a few that you specifically focus on whenever it comes to delivery and some of the things that might help improve, you know, communicators who are listening?
2: For sure, yes. Uh, I, I think the most important thing is practice, actually. And just as with anything, you know, you wouldn't expect to jump on a high-performance motorbike and be able to do anything other than crash. Uh, it takes time. Uh, it takes time and effort. Uh, in order to feel confident and to feel familiar with what you're doing. So I'm talking about just practicing the skill of speaking. If you're talking about public speaking, of course, which is something that many people find quite scary, uh, then practicing public speaking is a very good thing to do. You can do that in organizations like Toastmasters, who operate all around the world in pretty much every city. Uh, There'll be Toastmasters chapters where you can go along and just Practice the skill of speaking and get, and somebody will coach you and give you tips. Um, now, I, I do think Toastmasters tend to focus a little too much on the, uh, the delivery side, the, the performance of a talk. Nevertheless, it's very good to practice, practice, practice. Uh, you can form a group of buddies, you know, three or four people who are interested in speaking. Uh, you can get together and coach each other, uh, get some aids, record yourself. Many people really don't know what their voice sounds like, because we hear our voice through bone conduction in our skull, largely. And uh, when you hear it recorded, you go, that's not me. Well, I'm afraid, yes, that is you. And that's how other people hear it, without the bone conduction. So it's worth then listening to that and thinking about it. Uh, You've got, uh, of course, as well as... uh, recording audio, you can be recording video. So setting up a video camera and speaking into it is a brilliant way of spotting all sorts of little, maybe you've got a verbal tick or maybe you've got a physical tick, something you keep doing repetitively that's irritating for people. All of those things are extremely important and we haven't come yet to some of the most important stuff, which is about the voice. Uh, I'll come back to that in a moment um, because we're we're kind of talking about the run up to giving a talk, I guess practice 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 and then once you know what it is you want to say you've got a talk to give then it's into rehearse 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 that's a different skill that's rehearsing so that it's in your muscle memory so that you're not going to forget what comes next you've got the right aids you know you're going to use slides or cards or just your memory if you're very very brave Uh, and you know it's going to flow you're not going to get lost you've got nothing to fear and you can actually go out there and have fun with it and jazz it Uh, because you know the content so well. You practice gestures, full range, you know, not little, don't sit in a corner mumbling with tiny gestures. Go and do it in your sitting room, your living room, uh, to a sofa, which is pretending to be an audience, absolutely full scale, all the time, and then your muscles will remember it. So once you've practiced the skill, once you've rehearsed the talk, uh, then my next tip is to prepare. And that means getting to the venue early, understanding the venue as best you can. I always look up, uh, if I'm doing a talk somewhere in the world, I'll, I'll look at it on Google first, I'll understand the room, I get there the day before, I speak to the AV crew, get on very well with them, they're extremely important people, um, and uh, rehearse it, You know, check all the tech, make sure everything's working so that there's no danger of things going wrong and letting you down uh, and you know, getting destroyed by technology not working um so prep is very very important as well and then and having backup too i mean if you're the person who can uh, do something when the lights go out in the venue you'll be remembered forever i mean i've been to a couple of teds where that happened i remember um there was a bbc thing in monterey many years ago and uh it all broke and they couldn't do the interview and everybody was sitting there and then I was feeling really irritated because a guy two seats from me stood up and started shouting. And I thought, well, that's out of order until I realized it was Robin Williams. And he came down to the front and did 10 minutes of absolutely brilliant improv stand up comedy. Uh, Well, I've never forgotten that. That was an amazing experience. And uh, so if you can be the person who's got something up their sleeve when things go wrong, it's always a very wise thing to have. Um, So those are some, I mean, I think maybe we can come back later to what happens when you're actually on stage uh, and also talk about the voice, which is a very interesting topic.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess kind of the next thing we want to ask you about is, you know, in your book, you talk a little bit about, you know, I think learning styles and how it's important that we speak to different types of learning styles. And so can you just give us some examples of maybe some things that you might include in the talk to incorporate different people's different learning styles?
2: Yes, I mean, there are lots of models for this, lots of ways in which we characterize uh, people's attention and their preferences for taking in information. Some people like detail, other people like big picture. Um, So there are, there are models like format, which does why, what, how, what if, and you, you know, the The why is a big thing for some people. So you have to explain why is this important? Why do you want to listen to this? And then once that is understood, what is it we're going to do? Okay, then how are we going to do it? And what would the world be like if we did it and we succeeded? Now, those are different takes on the same subject and they're different takes which will affect different people. So, you know, you'll have people who are more technical, who like the process, you know, the people who read an instruction manual before they touch a a device. Um, which is not me, incidentally. But I know people who do that uh, and they prefer to know that's the how. How are we going to do it exactly? Uh, the what are we going to do is, is the big picture people who just the, 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 cut, the, cut the crap, just tell me what we're going to do in five words. I need to understand the big picture. Um, the why people need to be motivated and the what if people are, are people who are into imagining experiences in all the senses. You can get very colorful. You can you know, imagine you're looking at this, you're listening to this, you're tasting this, you're feeling that, you're smelling that. And that's how those people will get it. So that's one schema, one very good way of doing it. Um, other people uh, will like information to be uh, delivered to them throughout a talk at different levels of detail, for example. Um, that's called chunking and it's very good when you design your content, not just to have a linear content with time. So eight minutes from start to finish. <coughs> I'm sorry about my voice, but we'll do our best eight minutes, for example, from start to finish. Uh, and it's not just a straight line. It needs to also have contours up and down like Hills and valleys. Where a hill would be a a summary point, and then you go deep into the valley if you want to to explore the detail of this, what this really means, and how we're going to explore it and do it, uh, and then back up to the next big detail point, uh, the the next big summary point. Uh, So that kind of flow is very important, as indeed is the flow of using your voice throughout, uh, using what I call the vocal toolbox which is an incredibly important toolbox that most people don't even know they have. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? The Vocal Toolbox is an amazing collection of things that once you become conscious of, you can consciously use in your speaking. As you can probably hear, I'm at the tail end of a pretty major cold. (laughs) So my voice is somewhat challenged at the moment. Nevertheless, Uh, Because I know the vocal toolbox, uh, I'm able to breathe effectively. And that's a big part of it. Breathing is very important, as is posture. Having your head vertically above your shoulders, not leaning forward. You know, if you lean right forward, your voice gets very strained. Whereas if you put your head right back in your shoulders, you compress your vocal cords, you get this effect. So that's not very effective. It's great to have your head vertically above your shoulders, which incidentally, We often don't when we're sitting at a desk, leaning forward with a screen in front of us, talking on the phone. We're straining our vocal cords like this, and it doesn't work very well. Breathing, breathing is very important. Breath is the, the fuel for your voice. I mean, your voice is just breath coming out through your vocal cords. And many of us breathe like a bird. You know, We basically take very few deep breaths. It's a very good practice to understand breathing and to work on that and to do some deep breathing exercises whether it's yoga or just a a simple deep breathing practice in order to get those lungs moving and uh, be able to take in a big lung full of air Actors practice this all the time so that's before you even open your mouth then of course we've got things like um, the pace at which you speak and the pitch that you use Uh, Pitch is very important. It indicates arousal. You know, if I say, where did you leave my keys? That's very different to, where did you leave my keys? Same pace, but a very different emotional impact. And again, you can speak very, very fast, you can get extremely excited, or you can slow right down in order to make a point. And that is crucial, light and shade, as is the wonderful uh, technique of what's called prosody or prosody intonation and, um, and all the all the kind of non verbal things that go on with your voice that varies from culture to culture and it's very important to realize that uh, because different cultures uh, need to be spoken to in different ways in order to work there it's often uh, very possible to spot somebody who's a foreigner in a, a different language because they they just haven't got the prosody the prosody right uh, their, their vocabulary is perfect, uh, but they're still speaking with their native prosody. So for example, Scandinavians tend to sound a little bit bored like this, you know, yes, we're very excited about this project, you know, well, they are very excited, but that's just the way they speak. And to us, that sounds bored, uh, but it's not, not in their language, whereas of course, Latins like Italians and Spaniards, and ah, da, 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 da. it's very, very much more lively and up and down, uh, which would feel quite intimidating to somebody from Finland, for example. So, pros- prosody is uh, an incredibly important part of speaking, and not least because, one second, not least because uh, when we don't use it properly, we achieve something called monotony that's monotone, one tone. If I speak to you on one tone all the time without varying my voice at all, it's not extremely exciting. Actually, it's extremely boring and so forth. Now, there are people who've got very limited prosody who speak like that. And that's unfortunate because it's quite challenging without the up and down, the sing song, the root one for emotion uh, that we, we can use there. Timbre, also extremely important. Timbre is uh, the, the, the texture of the voice and we tend to describe voices that we like in the way we would describe a hot chocolate you know rich dark warm smooth sweet all of those words uh, and if that's not you listening to this don't worry uh, it's not me at the moment because of my cold uh, but if it's not you don't worry because you can go to a voice coach and get training and they can really powerfully affect timbre just google singing coach or drama coach or voice coach in your locality. And uh, <coughs> and uh, you'll find several and uh, do some tryout sessions, choose one that you really click with, and then do some work with them, and they'll do wonders for your timbre. Uh, so those are just some of the crucial things in that vocal toolbox. And when you master these things, when you become conscious of them, and work on them, uh, then. The sky is the limit in terms of the impact that you can have. We do not naturally master these things. It's really important to understand that. Just with list, just as with listening, we're not taught it in school. We're not taught how to use this amazing instrument that we all possess—the human voice—to its capacity. Uh, it can do extraordinary things. When you think of the great singers in the world or the amazing speaking voices, the Um, You know, the Sean Connerys, the Martin Luther Kings, uh, the Pavarotti's and so forth. It is incredible what the human voice can achieve. Many of us can achieve far more than we ever do. And it just takes a little bit of work and dedication and becoming conscious that here you've got an incredible instrument that you can tune and train.
0: Julian, you've given us some, you know, some vocal tips and how we can improve that. Can you talk to us a or give us some tips on like on stage performance and things that we need to consider?
2: Absolutely. Uh, I tend to use slides. I think it's quite important to have some sort of aid when you're on stage. Although those of you listening to this, you've got a phenomenal memory. Good luck to you. If you can use a memory palace or a memory house uh, or some sort of memory system to make sure that you remember the whole flow of your talk, that's that's very impressive. And some of the best TED talks I've ever seen have been delivered like that. I think of, Alan de Botton's famous uh, first talk, which was brilliant, and he he used no aids at all. It was completely from his head. Uh, Me, I use slides. That's my preference. I use Keynote, and uh, I've got good at that. Uh, So I can do all sorts of clever things with that. And I have a presenter view in front of me on my my Mac so I know what's coming next, so I don't get lost. I know uh, the next slide, and I know where I've been, and I know how much time I've taken as well. Um, if you don't prefer to use technology like that, then index cards are a very good aid, and you can do the same thing. So as you walk on, uh, I've got a little acronym, which is always useful to remember. It's BESS, B-E-S-S, B-E-S-S. And what it stands for is the B is breathe. So as you stride to the center of the stage, you take a big, big in-breath. Now, that's really useful for those of you who get nervous speaking. You know your your voice tends to go a little bit like this when you're nervous. Well a big deep breath is the best antidote to nerves. Uh, we tend not to breathe when we're nervous. So that's very important. The E is expand. By that I mean expand your awareness to the whole room. And you can practice this. It's basically going into peripheral vision. You can practice this by holding your hands up uh, at the side of your head with the fingers vertical and just wiggle your fingers. I'm doing it with one hand now, I'm using the other one to hold a microphone, but uh, just wiggle your fingers and move the hand back until you can't see them anymore. And then just move it forward until you're just conscious of the fingers on both sides. Now you're in full peripheral vision, not for veal vision, you're not concentrating, focusing on one point, you're seeing everything. And that's a brilliant way to be as you walk on stage. I'm not a great fan of the, The the practice some people propose, which is having a conversation with one person at a time. That's quite intimidating for them. I scan the whole room. I do move my attention around, but I'm always in that peripheral vision. So I've expanded my awareness, and that means I can see the whole room all the time. Okay, so that's the E of Bess. The S, the first S is stance. Sorry. The first S is stance and that means standing in a confident way feet roughly shoulder width apart feet facing pointing verti- uh, straight forward's not not angled out or in uh, for females probably feet slightly narrower than that and then everything stacked above vertically you know the knees the hips the shoulders the throat everything vertically above imagine there's a string in the top of your head and you're dangling from that string that gets your shoulders back and down it puts you in a good posture hands loose and relaxed by your sides that is your neutral speaking position and you can use that all the way through or you can use it as a base to move away from and come back to it doesn't distract anybody it looks absolutely fine to stand there like that you might have a microphone in one hand you might have your key cards um, if you feel awkward with hands by sides, then you can join your hands at kind of uh, stomach level and just hold one thumb between the thumb and forefinger of the other hand. That's a royal family trip, uh, trip, uh, tip from the UK. Um, and from there, you can gesticulate and come back to that. So there are nice, easy ways of standing in this neutral stance. That does not distract people, it, it allows you to deliver from a lovely, neutral, solid, powerful platform you can also imagine if you like roots going down from your feet into the ground people often say to me after i come off stage you, you look so grounded and that's because i've got these roots going so it's string in your hair dangling from that roots coming from your feet powerfully attached to the ground there you go and the s the second s smile It's very nice as you walk on take a deep breath look at the room and stand to give a big smile because you're pleased to be there and it's a nice connection with people so that takes you to the point of delivering your talk and by the way um, i also in that ted talk talk about some vocal warm-up exercises which are very good things to do before you go on stage Uh, i won't go through those right now uh, because i don't think my voice is up to it but Watch the TED Talk and uh, you'll see them all. It's the um, my third TED Talk about conscious listening. Um, uh, sorry, no, it's it's the final TED Talk about how to speak so that people want to listen, isn't it? That one, um, the fifth one. So in there, there are some vocal warm-up exercises which are very powerful and which are very good to do to get your voice in tip-top condition. So having done that, having stood on stage with those things, all you have to do is have fun with it, enjoy it. You know it you've practiced it, you've rehearsed it, uh, you're ready, and you can just have fun with the delivery. And that also comes with practice. Uh, you know, that first TED Talk I ever gave, um, you know, that's a pretty intimidating audience. You look out, and oh, there's Jeff, Jeff Bezos and there's Sergey Brin. And um, so it is quite an intim- intimidating audience to speak to. Uh, and that's why I rehearsed that first talk and all the others. Uh, absolutely to death, to the point where I knew them so well, I wasn't scared of losing my place, and I could go out and actually enjoy the experience of connecting with these amazing people. So uh, that's a very important part of the process. So I hope those are some useful tips for public speaking, a skill which is not that difficult to attain. Uh, it, It is mainly about practice, practice, practice.
0: So can you talk to us about the importance of silence? Well, as I said, when
2: when I was recommending the exercise, I think silence is a crucial um, sound. It's a sound that not many of us have a relationship with anymore because the the world is noisier and noisier. And I know plenty of people who live in cities who actually fear silence. They feel uncomfortable with it. Um, But it is very important. It's a baseline. You see silence, the sound of silence. And there are different sounds of silence. Um, You know, I could... Give you a couple of examples. The silence, if you go into the mountains above the tree line, where there are no birds, on a windless day, you get this massive, expansive, gorgeous silence that goes on forever. Whereas if you go deep into a cave, uh, the kind of caves our ancestors used to live in, you get this velvety, cloaking, very intimidating silence, uh, where You certainly had to listen in those days because you were probably sharing the cave with bears or tigers or something else. So silence has different textures, different qualities. What's important is to get a little bit of it every day so that you reconnect with your baseline and you can then judge and discern sound in a far more uh, educated way. You don't become numb as we do during the day. Uh, when we're surrounded by noise all the time. Noise is a really, it's a big, big problem in the world. It's now rated just behind air pollution as a health risk and, and even a killer in Europe by the um, the World Health Organization. Uh, you know, there are 8 million people in Europe who are having their sleep disrupted night after night after night by traffic noise that's way above the World Health Organization recommended maximum. There are huge health issues that have arisen out of chronic noise exposure. And that is all about this kind of unconsciousness. We don't plan our environments because we're not connected with silence. The people planning the environments don't think about it. We don't monitor the noise. It's the kind of exhaust gas of the economy of what we're doing. And yet it has this powerful effect on millions of people who probably, again, aren't even conscious of it. I mean, obviously, if you're, if you're under the flight path of a, of a major airport, then you're pretty conscious of the planes that start landing at 5 a.m. Uh, but traffic noise, not so much. Easy to ignore its effects. And yet, uh, the research shows that long-term exposure to that kind of noise increases your risk of heart attacks, stroke, and all sorts of other uh, really serious health issues arise. So I do suggest it's a very good idea to connect with silence a couple of times a day, uh, which allows you then to listen with fresh ears and perhaps will reveal to you that you're surrounded by some noises that are not doing you any favors.
1: I'm curious too about silence in giving talks. I know that there's this power whenever it comes to pauses and things like that. Do you have any tips for us on that?
2: I do, which is befriend it. I use it a great deal. Uh, You know, a lot of people fear silence when they're speaking. Now I know if you're on radio or in this kind of an environment where we can't see each other, um, there is a fear of what's called dead air. And the fear of that on radio is that if if you do this, people start thinking something's gone wrong and they change the channel. So that's the terror in radio of dead air. Now, that doesn't apply. If you're on a stage and people can see you, it's a completely different thing. You can pause for the longest time on a stage and people will stay with you. I'm I'm talking about, you know, five, ten seconds. That's not a problem. Even longer than that if you want to. Plus, of course, slowing down and giving your words weight. Well, that can be done with small pauses, which, again, are silence. And it's very important to use it in that way, to leaven your speaking with silence. It increases the power of the words. And the worst possible thing to do is to go on stage and gabble. You know, we do not have to fill silence with ums and urs and gabbling. It's actually counterproductive to do that. Even when the talk is very short, you know, my first TED Talk was, I think, six minutes long. And I had to describe the effects of sound in six minutes. Uh, that's not a long wow. time. Uh, But I did not gabble. What I did was to distill it right down so that I could focus on what I was trying to say. Uh, I spoke quickly, but without gabbling in that one. So uh, it is really important to be a friend of silence. Use it on stage. uh, You know, as you come on and do the best, uh, as you do your smile and uh, you expand your awareness and you connect with the audience, you can take a moment. And the other important time to do it is at the end, actually, uh, which is you being silent, the audience not as they're applauding you. I know so many people who the moment they finish their talk, thank you very much and off they go. Because, you know, many of us have issues about receiving appreciation like that. It's very important to be quiet, smile, nod, you know, take the affirmation. And then move off. I'm not talking about being a prima donna and sort of demanding more, but I'm talking about (laughs) having a a sensible relationship where you would actually say
1: to people, thank you for the thanks. I appreciate that. Sure. Well, hey, Julian, as we're starting to wrap up, what are one or two things um, that you may have have learned recently or have been experimenting with recently? And it could be with communication or with listening.
2: I think there's a very powerful technique in relationship which is listening as if for the first time it's a challenge to do it we get into the rut of listening where we go oh they, there they go again that's them and um, we think we know somebody and and they, everything becomes predictable it's a really interesting challenge to listen as if for the first time and let somebody surprise you again that's a great one to use with friends uh, with you know life partners uh, with parents and so forth Um, Another interesting one that uh, I do recommend is listening for. So I talked about listening from a place. It's also possible to listen for. uh, We do it unconsciously a lot of the time. It's very powerful if you make that conscious. So you go into a conversation. You say, I'm going to be listening for something to learn here. I'm going to be listening uh, for something I can be really curious about. I'm going to be listening for something that will surprise me. And it's amazing how if we don't do that, our filters just knock out stuff that we're not expecting. We don't even become conscious of it. And uh, then you know life becomes
1: rather predictable. So there's a couple of good ones. Love it. Well, hey, Julian, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast.
2: Thanks for bearing with my croaky voice. I hope that everybody (laughs) has got something out of this. And of course, if they want more information than the book, How To Be Heard, has got all this and loads and loads and loads of other exercises and thoughts on the skills of speaking and listening so i poured everything i know into that one and uh, i'm very pleased with it awesome
0: okay todd fascinating conversation that we just wrapped up with julian i know that we had a lot of takeaways from it and some really practical stuff what's something that i um, really stood out to you
1: for one um what's so impressive to me just listening to him talk is how much is really involved in communication. Um, most people don't think of sound, they don't think of, of listening and hearing. As, how you look? Yeah, as a yes, that too, as a piece of communication and, and how that can be used. So that was a huge takeaway for me. I think the big one, you're right, was the appearance thing. Um, I guess that, I mean, that's important, right? Like you're not gonna wanna go out looking like a bum, but at the same time, I didn't realize, I guess, all the ways that's important but again the biggest thing for me was really understanding the listening and hearing aspect of that um and how and and actually i picked up some ways as to how i can use that to be able um, to communicate more effectively
0: yeah and so if you enjoyed this episode the best way to make sure that you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to this podcast on whatever podcast player you use Next week, we're talking with Jonathan Merritt. Uh-oh. He's a journalist. He, he's written a ton of books before and a lot of think pieces specifically for The Atlantic. And we're talking with him about his book, Learning to Speak God from Scratch. It's an awesome book, one of my favorite books that I've read all this year. We keep having these year. people come on from The Atlantic. we got to get ta Hesse Coates. If anybody can help us with that, let us know. So if let us know, leave a rating, write a review of the podcast on iTunes, whatever uh, podcast player you use. Let us know how we can continue to improve what you like about the show, topics that you would like to see us cover as well. It's the best way for us to continue to learn and grow and continue to make a better podcast for you guys as well. Somebody hook us up
1: with Carrie Newhoff.
0: Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. My name is Caleb Mason. And my name is Todd Ixenball. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.
1: Deuces, y'all.